sounds familiar to something I read a while back. I had no doubt. As soon as I saw the evidence, as soon as I looked at the photos, read the autopsy results, and saw where they had been dumped, and how they had been tortured, I knew. We all knew. We have a serial killer on our hands. Hello. My name is Nicole, and I am welcoming you to my new podcast called Delaware Crime. Also to the second smallest speck on the U.S. map. That is the state of Delaware, the state of our current president, Ryan Felipe, Valerie Bernelli, and Murder Town USA in the city of Wilmington. Also home of such sociopaths as Stephen Pinnell, of course, he will be discussing today Thomas Capano, Donald Flagg, Christopher Rivers, and Dave Matuski. Yes, I've lived in the state now, on and off, for 54 years. And I once lived in Washington State when the Green River Killer was on the loose. This is one of the reasons why I love crime so much. No matter where I have lived, either in Delaware or Washington, I have been surrounded by suspenseful crime. My podcast will not consist of going on and on about my boring personal life. I will never discuss politics, have heavy opinions, or talk about boring gibberish. I would just be covering the facts of true crime of the state of Delaware, the state I was born in and where my family and friends lie. Even knowing some of the individual criminals and victims in the state where your cousin most likely has dated three people you went to high school with. I will never demean any of the victims or the families or the families of the criminals. Being a parent myself, you can do everything right with your kids. And by the grace of God, we hope they are happy. But no matter how good of a parent you are, sometimes mental illness takes hold, sadly. So here we go. Warning. This podcast contains graphic material and is not appropriate for anyone under 13 years of age. Listener and parental discretion is advised. Okay, so with that being said, here we go. Stephen Pinnell, Delaware's serial killer. Stephen Pinnell is popularly known as the Route 40 killer. On the quarter killer. 
Pennell is believed to be the first documented serial killer in this history of the state of Delaware, and also the first person to be executed in the state of Delaware since 1946. Pennell is a Caucasian male born on November 22, 1957. A native of Delaware, just like me, pretty much. But I did live away from Delaware for a while. And the firstborn of two children of William and Elaine Pinnell. Pinnell was married to Miss Kathy Pinnell with three children, two of his own and a stepdaughter. Pinnell worked as an electrician, but according to some sources, he studied criminology at the University of Delaware. He grew in middle-class America in a peaceful childhood, went to Catholic church on Sundays, and even attended Catholic school, where he was in attendance with a few of my own family members. But little is known about his mental history. Mr. Pinnell murdered a total number of five Caucasian females who were between the ages of 25 to 35 years of age. The Delaware State Police and the Newcastle County Police organized a sting operation along Route 40. This brave officer, Rene Leno, of the Newcastle County Police was used as a bait as an undercover prostitute while working undercover. Leno noticed the blue van drive past her quite a number of times and called in the license plate, which came back registered to Mr. Pinnell. Big surprise there. After Officer Leno walked towards the darkest part of the street, the blue van stopped and the driver signaled her to enter, which she didn't, but rather had a conversation with the driver. During the conversation, the officer noticed the interior blue carpeting, which raised her suspicion. While the conversation was going on, Leno was smart enough, very smart here, to remove some of the fibers from the door, luckily without Pinnell noticing. Pinnell was identified, Pinnell was identified, I'm sorry about that, due to the significant evidence linking to him. First, the color of his van was identical to what the witnesses described. Second, on the route which he picks up his victims, most likely, most of his victims were seen on that route last. The fibers found in his van matched the fibers found on the victims and the weapons found on him during the search of the van. Lastly, he was identified by undercover Newcastle County police officer who had an encounter with him. When the bodies were discovered at various locations, sadly, the victim's breasts were bruised and their nipples were removed. There were marks on their neck which that shows there was a possibility of strangulation and injuries on the wrist, 
which shows, sadly, the possibility of torture. Why was just one of many secrets Pinnell took with him to the grave? Such as why a seemingly normal 31-year-old married father of two decided to embark on such a killing spree, and why he refused to admit guilt but demanded to be executed. Asking for death was his way of admitting it and that he was a monster. That's the lingering mystery, is why he never permitted interviews that got any answers. Even the FBI tried to talk to him and get to the heart of what caused him to do these vicious crimes. On Halloween 1991, the court sentenced Pinnell to death. Under Delaware State Constitution, every death penalty judgment requires the further hearing from the Supreme Court. And on February 11th, 1992, Pinnell appeared before them, demanding that he be sentenced to death. He was the only one in Delaware's legal history to to represent himself before the Supreme Court. And the only convicted to willingly seek the death penalty. However, believe it or not, he pled not guilty to the murders and spoke of all the crimes as a third party, saying that the killer, not Pinnell, was enjoying the process of the murder, but not the murder herself, if you can believe that. The Delaware State Attorney General objected to the death penalty, but the judges sentenced Pinnell to death anyway. His execution was scheduled on March 14, 1992. On March 14, 1992, at 9.49 p.m., Stephen Brian Pinnell was executed by lethal injection becoming the first person executed in Delaware in 46 years and the 165th person to be executed in the United States since the death sentence was reinstated in 1976. On November 23, 1989, the jury reached a decision and convicted Pinnell of murdering Catherine DeMauro and Shirley Ellis but acquitted him of Shelley Gordon's murder because of the lack of evidence. The jury decided not to recommend the death penalty, but two life sentences shortly after the decision, a bouquet of flowers was sent to the prosecutor's office with a note reading, You made us feel human again on Route 40. The second victim was a 31-year-old, recently divorced Catherine DeMauro. On June 28, 1988, about seven months after the first murder, around, murder around, of Route 40, this, she was seen walking down Route 40, but it was unclear why. At 6.25, construction workers found her naked body at a construction site. 
Her wrists were tied. Her feet and mouths were clogged with adhesive tape. No sign of sexual assaults were found. Like Ellis, she was killed by hammer blows and strangulation. But unlike the murder, DeMar's body was covered in blue fibers. On August 22, 1987, I'm sorry, 1988, excuse me, 27-year-old Margaret Lynn Fisher disappeared. A number of witnesses had seen her enter a blue Ford driven by a white male near, near Route 13. Ironic, huh? On seven on September 14th, 1988, excuse me, Renee Tashner, an undercover cop posing as a prostitute, roomed Route 40 in an attempt to capture the killer. Very brave. Very brave, uh, Officer Tashner. After passing several vehicles, she spotted the blue Ford seven times in 20 minutes. She went to a more isolated area. The vehicle stopped next to her. Oof. The driver was was white, with Tasher noticing that the floor had blue carpet. The man appeared nervous, hardly looking in her eyes, but still convinced her to enter the car. She refused, claiming that she was tired, but managed to tear some fiber from the blue carpet and write down the license plate number. Upon examination of several license plates, it emerged that the vehicle belonged to Stephen Brian Pinnell, a 31-year-old electrician, married and the father of two with no criminal record. Delaware Public Prosecutor Charles Oberly approved a police search warrant on the panel van, which at the same time searching for other offenses, they could arrest Pat Pinnell. While searching the vehicle, prints matching the blood and hair of the victims, as well as the same adhesive tape used in Shelley DeMauro's killing, were located. A torture kit was also found, which included pliers, whips, handcuffs, needles, knives, and restraints. <sighs> Pinnell was arrested on November 29th, a year after he murdered the first victim, and was charged with killing three, three beautiful women, Ellis, DeMauro, and Gordon. He decided to enact his right to remain silent in 1987. The first victim was 23-year-old Shirley Ann Ellis, a nurse. On November 29, 1987, she left Wilmington Hospital around 6 p.m., where she was aiding an AIDS patient, catching a lift on her way home to Route 40. Her body was later found by the roadside by two boys. She was partially nude, her legs spread out, and her hands and feet were tied with an adhesive tape. 
Once again, there was no sign of sexual assault, but she had been seriously abused with her killer tying a string around her neck and hitting her head with a hammer before she died. Stephen Brian Pinnell. Again, A.K. the Root Fruit 40 Killer. Okay. Most of his victims were abducted from U.S. Route 40 and Bear. On November 23rd, a 26-year-old, Catherine Ann Meyer of Brookmont Farms, disappeared. A police officer saw her board a blue Ford on Route 40 at 9.30 p.m. He was able to write an identification plate, which turned out to be Pennell's car. Her body sadly, was never found. Two days later, 22-year-old Gordon, known for frequenting Route 40, disappeared. Witnesses saw her enter a blue Ford identified as a panel car. On September 20th, her body was found in the rocks in the Chesapeake, Delaware Canal. In the autopsy, it was discovered she had been jerked had been drugged with cocaine, which caused her heart to stop before the dirt torture had begun. Nothing about Stephen Brian Pinnell was what it seemed. The dark-haired man stood six foot five in work boots and weighed almost 300 pounds. He looked big and imposing, but friends said he was a quiet, gentle teddy bear. Pinnell had a pet name, pet cat, excuse me, named Cupcake, who he refused to, to refuse to, I'm sorry, refused to fix. A sick hamster that could not be saved by a vet. Killing animals made him squeamish. His best friend since high school, Ken Saunders, once said, he went duck hunting one time, and he couldn't even squeeze the trigger on the frickin' duck, said Sanders. But neighbors noticed Pinnell wasn't as kind to humans. He could be scream- he could be heard screaming profanities at his wife and three children at the Glasgow Pines trailer in Bear. He, but he could generously lend money to a co-worker, but also be a super spendthrift. He had, sadly, few close friends. At one time, Pinnell applied to the police academy, was, but was denied because he was not in good enough shape, which he told co-workers and some friends it was because he was too fat. Elaine Pinnell had two children, a son and a daughter. Stephen was her first son. Her and her husband were devout Catholics who created a comfortable home on the edge of the Wilmington of, of Wilmington's Green Greenhill neighborhood near the Ed Porky Oliver Club. Their two-bedroom apartment was on a block filled with young couples and children. It was a place where everybody knew everybody, which is very common in Delaware. William was a tax accountant 
accountant at Wilmington Trust and active in the Knights of Columbus, which is a huge religious organization here in Delaware. Elaine was a homemaker who later went to work at St. Francis Hospital's business office, which is a hospital here in Delaware. She also served as a den mother of the of Stephen's Cub Scout pack. Stephen was about seven when he and his parents and his nearly one-year-old sister moved to a two-story brick duplex a few miles on Linden Avenue in Ellesmere, Delaware. The shy, timid boy befriended Harry Maluski, an Ellesmere neighbor who would arrive home in his Wilmington police cruiser. The two sat on the older man's steps while Pennell quizzed him about police work. He used to help him out, help out, Pinnell, I'm sorry, Pinnell used to help Manileski out with the, his lawn. When my wife came home, he would help carry the groceries. He seemed like a pretty good kid, Manileski said. Pinnell failed the first grade at Wilmington St. Anthony's Padua School, which is an uh, elementary school and middle. The parochial school of St. Anthony Padua Catholic Church in Little Italy, where my mother is actually from. After fourth grade, he transferred to the Oak Grove Elementary School in Ellesmere, and in ninth, his parents returned him to Catholic school at St. Mark's High School, which is only about five minutes or down the street from my house. And I actually have family members who were there at the same time that Stephen Pinnell was there. Newcastle County Police Detective Jim Hendricks, who would later be hunting for Pinnell, attended the school at the same time. But the men didn't know each other. Well over six feet tall in high school, Pinnell was remembered for being the gentle giant who stood at more than his personality. Classmates remember Pinnell drifting from click to click and never really being a mainstay of any one group. It's very sad. He dated but did not have a steady girlfriend. Pinnell joined the wrestling team, his only extra, extra, extracurricular activity. Despite, despite his hefty size, he was successful. He left the team midway through the second season. He left a good impression on Ed Palliard, a social studies teacher at, at the time, the school's director of student activities. The first time they met, Pinnell offered to set up, a fo- set up folding chairs for graduation and return later to help. He was always the guy who was very helpful and very kind, Polar said. After graduating in 1976, Pinnell spent two semesters studying, believe it or not, criminology at now the defunct Brandywine College, where I went to school for two years myself. 
He tried to fulfill his dream of a career in law enforcement, applying for the Wilmington Police Department cadet program, which he was not accepted. He couldn't pass the physical fitness, which I said earlier. Saunders said, Pinnell told him, I'm too fat, which we discussed earlier. In 1978, he was a stock boy at the now-closed Ellesmere Dry Goods on Kirkwood Highway, which I'm very familiar with that. My mom took me there a lot as a kid. While out with friends at a New Jersey bar, Pinnell met his future wife, Vera Kathy Huber. She was five years older, also worked at Dry Goods, and had a daughter from a previous marriage. The friendship blossomed, and the two began living together in 1981. While out with friends in a New Jersey bar, Pinnell met Vera Kathy Huber. The The union created a strain between Pinnell and his parents, who didn't accept his wife. There was even a period Pinnell stopped speaking to his parents after an argument between his wife and his mother. The same year, Pinnell had his only encounter with the law. The then then 23-year-old was charged with burglary and criminal mischief for breaking into a Pike Creek tobacco shop to steal a box of coins and pornographic magazines he pleaded guilty. And he pleaded guilty. And Pike Creek is a city in Newark. And like I said, he pleaded guilty. In the fall, Pinnell enrolled at Delaware Tech Community College Stanton's campus, initially majoring in food service management and later switching to electronics. In the fall, Pinnell enrolled at Dowcastle Community College Stanton campus, initially majoring in food service management, later switching to electronics. Pinnell was hired as an apprentice in the Internal Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Union, Local 313, and then directly a month later was expelled for an unspecific reason in 1984. He still managed to get electrical jobs and earned his Delaware Master Limited Electric electrician's license around 1987. He was one about 24, about 2,400 people in the state to permit, permitted to wire homes. By now, he and his wife, Kathy, their two children, and Kathy's daughter were living in a mobile home in the Glasgow Pines trailer park, Glasgow, Delaware. It was in a small cul-de-sac secluded by trees. Some neighbors said he was a good family man who doted on his children, playing football and baseball with them. His teenage stepdaughter said they had a father they had father and daughter talks about boys and he helped her with her algebra homework. Very interesting. <clears throat> Pinnell was known to watch other people's children and gave them rides to school, if you can believe that. He once dressed as Santa Claus at Ellesmere Dry Goods store 
and was and and also was a banter. Canel was very successful at keeping unruly customers in line. At and knocked on the door of Nancy Melson's Nancy Melson and said her daughter opened it and there was Santa Claus. He put his large frame to use as a part-time bouncer at George's Next Door, a popular trolley square nightclub in Wilmington, Delaware, and walking the women employees to the cars safely at the end of the night so they not so they would not be sexually assaulted in a dark parking lot. Pinnell was less successful with, with his career. He couldn't or wouldn't hold a steady job, despite his electrician's license. Pinnell's longest job lasted a year, but most stints were six months or less. He had a penchant to rent up credit card bills, which put a strain on the couple's marriage. Arguments ensued, including domestic violence. Pinnell once broke his wife's arm but the incident was never reported to the police. His relationship with his mother was already rocky. Would halt shortly after before Thanksgiving 1986, about a year before Shirley Ellis's body was found dumped in an industrial park. His escape seemed to be the van. Pinnell, who caught himself an insomniac, would drive the van for hours, following quarrels with his wife. After long cruises, he returned home and crashed on the couch while his wife slept in the bedroom. Then he would get back up in the night or early morning hours and take another drive. That same Sunday night, a few miles away, Michelle Gordon was walking out of a tap room near Route 30, 1340 when the inevitable happened. Gordon was born in England and moved to the United States at four. Her mother, Marlene, Renee, and uh, we used her at various locations wherever we knew that A, the girls were last seen, or B, we felt would be a secluded enough area that someone would probably stop for her. Renee is out there. She encounters Penel. We are on Route 40 just west of the intersection of Route 72 or Salem Church, I'm sorry, Salem Church Road. And she observed that this blue van is circling her several times. But once she mentions it, I notice it also that this individual is circling her several times. And I- We're back. I had some technical tea. Technical, I'm sorry, technical difficulty, whoops, and uh, I'm back with the end of this podcast. So we were back with Gordon's mother. Um, uh, Gordon's mother did did call her uh, Shelly, Shelly Gordon, that was her only daughter, Um, and when... um, she was found. Her mother was very upset and uh, punched a, a her fist through a wall. Um, and her hands were all bloody. And she said, she was young. She said, 
and uh, she said she did not, her daughter did not deserve this. Uh, she was too young, and she had a whole life to live. Um, and I don't want to get into the gore details again, but after Gordon's death, the same thing, her nipples were removed, and uh, there was cuts running down the back of her legs. Um, on October 23rd, a Sunday afternoon, a police officer believed Pinnell was becoming suspicious of the cover of, I'm sorry, of the covert surveillance. A car that was following him too close. Task force members in a nearby car watched as Pinnell began to clean the inside of the van. They ad- the police adjusted the antenna, antenna, I'm sorry, of the bugs receiver just in time to hear a young girl's voice. What are you doing, Daddy? Pinnell's daughter asked her father. I'm exploring, honey, Pinnell said as he found the hidden wire of the listening device inside his van and ripped it out. Pinnell knew. He was under investigation, and the jig was up. So, what I would like to say um, in closing is every one of these wonderful girls that were killed by Pinnell were special, special young women who lost their lives before their time. So, um... In closing, I would like to say, praise God for the Newcastle County Police and the Delaware State Police in this case. If it wasn't for them and the courageous, uh, heroic efforts of the two women who uh, posed as prostitutes, Stephen Pinnell would have not been caught. So um, I'm just going to say this at the very end. Uh, thank you for your bravery to these two two women and all the police pe- people. Um, also, I want to say, um, you know, I have respect for the victims um, and their families and the victim and the uh, criminals' families also. And with that being said, I want to say that I know that there was um, prostitution in this uh, podcast and uh, drugs, um, but I try not to focus on that because these were women. No matter what problems they had, they were wonderful women whose family loved them. They were young. Yes, everybody makes mistakes. We've all made mistakes. I know I've made hundreds and I'm still making them. Um, but as a mother, I want to tell you, um, I can't even imagine having that done to my child, um, or better yet, or, um, you know, father or any, a sister or brother. So, um, I say that in closing and I just want to tell you that, um, you know, we, we have to pray, pray for all the people that were involved. And we have to uh, pray for them and set and, uh, you know, just 
hope that they can get through, they've gotten through this and on with their lives. And also the children of uh, Stephen Pinnell. Um, I'm sure they uh, felt embarrassed that they, they shouldn't have at all. It was not that they, it was not at them to, you know, they were not to blame. Or his mother, his father, um, his sister, whatever. Um, this is not anybody's fault. This is mental illness. And we can sit here and wonder, like I said, Stephen Pinnell never said that why he did this. But we can sit here and wonder. Um, yes, but we really know deep down inside that he was a broken soul. And he that became an animal, that did these horrible things to these poor women, um, and that he was definitely a sociopath, sociopathic person, um, personality and a sociopath. Um, and, um, but we can just, you know, sit here and say, okay, he did it. Maybe he did it. Maybe he was mad at prostitutes. I've heard over the years that he was mad at a prostitute or I don't know. He didn't like prostitutes. I'm not sure. But we can, all we can do is say that these women were wonderful women and they did not deserve any of that to happen to them. They could have, uh, you know, when over the years, uh, one, one particular woman was not even a prostitute, just hitchhiking. This was, you have to remember, this was in the 80s. So um, in that closing, I just want to, Definitely, um, you know, keep the victims, um, you know, um, in memory uh, alive and just say, you know, they were special. They were special women and down the road they could have been mothers and grandmothers or so much so forth. Um, and I look at them and I remember what I looked like at that age. I was about closer, close to that age uh, that they were. Uh, some of them, and it it's just heartbreaking. So we will, in closing, um, we will say that um, I hope that, you know, that we will, you know, remember the victims and, you know, remember them and all the good things that they could have done. Uh, next week, I will be covering a case um, that was that ha happened um, in 2004. Two young people were killed while they were working at a clothing store um, on Kirkwood Highway. Um, it was right a few days after Christmas. It was in 2004, and these were two young people working hard. Uh, one woman, was, she was very young, but she had a child. And they were working hard to make a better life for themselves. And uh, they were uh, murdered. Um, at, they were, uh, it was the end of the night. They were getting ready to go home to their families, to their, uh, the one girl, Jessica Watson. She was going home to her daughter and her mother. Um, and they were shot. Uh, Unfortunately, there was no um, cameras at the time in the store. I'm not sure what, how that, why that happened, but anyway, and it made the 
very hard for the police to have come with up with any suspects. Could have been somebody that um, it was a big and tall type of store. So it could have been somebody from out of town that came in. It could have been anybody. They will never know because there were no cameras. But they, uh, you know, they're always helpful. So hopefully when we do this um, uh, case next week, uh, hopefully we um, might get some, you know, it might encourage somebody to give us some answers or you never know. So I'll be doing that next week. Uh, it, like I said, it was in 2004 and it still not has, has not been solved. Um, and I hope you enjoyed uh, Stephen Pinnell. Delaware serial killer, and you learned um, about him and, you know, what he did to these women. It was awful. So, um, and I just want to say to everybody, watch your surroundings and be careful. Be careful. And I want to thank um, some of the resources I used were um, Delaware Online, um, you know, um, WDEL, um, W H W H Y. So I use a lot of the resources on that. Um, so I just want to thank those people. Um, you know, I use a lot of the stories on Google, um, YouTube. Um, I did go into some podcasts, old podcasts, um, but I did a lot of it. I did you know, research myself and I um, wanted to make sure I got every little thing, but I do want to thank, I did get a lot of research from Delaware online. And I think it was Esteban Perez article Esteban. I might've been saying it wrong, but, um, and I just want to thank him for giving, for writing such a great article. And that's where I got some of my research. Um, w H Y and Delaware today. Also, Delaware Online, um, you know, uh, and like I said, YouTube, I got a lot of information. So um, I hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful week. And I will see you next Monday on the 12th. To, and I will be doing, um, you know, a case called Unsolved, the, um, you know, big and tall murder. Okay, so. Everyone have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and I will talk to you soon. And I apologize for my, um, you know, my first podcast, a little broken up with the speech and everything, but um, I'm learning and I'm going to get there, you know. So I hope everybody has a great, great week. God bless.